Disclaimer, all views expressed on this podcast represent the host and his guests, and not the companies or agencies they are associated with. Welcome to Tony's Game Lounge, a weekly podcast that covers gaming news, upcoming releases, and topics from all aspects in the gaming industry. Kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Tony's Game Lounge. I'm your host, Tony Erickson, and joining me this week, we've got a variety speedrunner and streamer, Torpedo. Hello, I am Torpedo, speedrunner and challenge runner alike. How you doing? Honestly, I've been up for probably about like eight or nine hours already, but like I'm still sitting here with a lot of energy, so I'm ready to just like kind of go really in on discussion. Oh, excellent. I've been awake for maybe two hours now. So hey. I'm doing I am doing phenomenal as well. Um, because you're a brand new guest on the podcast, we actually get to start up with uh, our the archive. That's what we're calling it now. Uh, it used to be called Selection Screen. We're now calling it the archive because it's a better name I thought of for it. Uh, where you got to give us your favorite video game, your favorite video game character, and your favorite video game soundtrack. Ooh, okay. Favorite game. That one's easy. I can go on a tangent all day about celeste but that's not oh. what this episode's about <laughs> all um, i can say beautiful game beautiful story uh lana rain takes that soundtrack borrows just a bit from like the principles of like music design and takes all that a long way it's nice an experience for me i really can't put into words it's something that had just resonated so much with me personally and at the very worst i suggest you at least go try the game out it's it's it is on my list of games I definitely want to try out. It's, it's it looks really fun. Like the movement looks really dope to, to try out as well. As for a favorite character, this one's tough to go into because some of it is spoiler related for the game that they're in. But Yukari Takeba from Persona Three. Oh yeah, Yukari, good old Yukari. Because like some of the events that go on in the story are related to. Well, actually, directly related to her. Yeah. So, it's more so, like, how she ends up growing from the situation that she's put into, and then ends up becoming one of the most human characters in the game, in terms of, like, she becomes, I guess, yeah, relatable. That's the word. Nice. Nice. As as for OST, well, I would say Xenoblade Chronicles for the Wii, but this past year we did get a Switch port. Not even a Switch port, but a full-on remake. Mm-hmm. So I guess I gotta go with Definitive Edition, like the arranged soundtracks. And it has the original Wii soundtracks in there, so it's the best of both worlds. Oh, baby! Nice. Those are some epic, epic gamer choices, as we say here on the... We, we, we don't say that, but those are some really good choices. <laughs> Just go to McConaughey's Field, idle for a while, and listen to the music. It changes you. Oh, yeah, you. I've... I, I I watched Zen, uh, Ch- Chaga's Xenoblade One Chronic Xenoblade One playthrough, uh, I think for like a good a quarter of the way through it. And I'm just and then before I'm like okay I gotta, I think I just it just fell off for me because I was just busy with other things at the time. But Chaga Conroy's playthroughs of Xenoblade One I watched a little bit of. Oh yeah, it was good. 
I watched like the first couple episodes myself and then like once I like knew that there's gonna be spoiler stuff happening I'm like maybe I'll play this at some other point when it becomes perhaps more accessible because when I first started watching it was before like back when it was like such a very rare release in the states yeah and then later on down the road new 3ds comes out um it gets ported to, the, to that it gets a wii u version i'm like all right since i'm just this kid in school that's sitting there just driving around a bunch i'm just gonna get it on 3ds and i'm gonna play it like that and 100 it so that's what ended up happening with that ended up becoming one of my favorite games of all time uh played a few games since then that have since knocked it down to like number four and then when the Switch version came out, I'm like, all right, I'm buying this day one, and I'm going to 100% it again. I recommend at least, like, yeah, at least playing through the game, like, for the full story. Perhaps mm. maybe do how mu- however much you feel the side quests. There are tangible rewards that are that make it worth your while. So you don't have to go, like, full-on completionist with it, but it's one of those... The experience is what you make of it, and it's also got a really freaking imaginative, imaginative world. Yeah, the the Bionis and the Mechonis are really dope settings. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to move on to the startup screen, um, our little topic before we jump into everything. And uh, today, if you haven't heard... But believe it or not, uh, Shovel Knight has made uh, made it back into the news because they've teamed up with Arby's. So if you purchase an Arby's Kids meal, you can get a little launcher token, and uh, you'll also get a code for D- a D- exclusive Arby's DLC in Shovel Knight Treasure Trove. It's amazing. <laughs> it is, yes. Like, I know Arby's has been, like, involved with, like, a lot of, like, video game crossover things with Twitter. Yeah, like, I, I remember... I, there was one I for Final Fantasy VII I saw. Yeah, I, I know that they used to do, like, little cardboard cutout things with, like, their sandwiches of different either video games or anime stuff, and they would always have that with the sandwiches, but they're doing a full-on now that's just... Hey, we actually got toys. That's actually really neat. It is. It's humongously neat. And this, on top of last week, if you listened to the first episode of this season, we talked about uh, Genshin Impact uh, teaming up with KFC in China, uh, where if you purchase the very exclusive Diluke Bucket, you would get a code for a glider in the game. What? <sighs> they better bring it to the States. I'll, I've got Diluc and I've got buckets. <laughs> I need the fusion of the two. Uh, uh, that's what we honestly. I I think it would be really cool if they brought it to the states because I think that the American pilots would be like, "What the fuck is this weeb shit?" And then the weebs would just be like, "Chicken." That that would make it even funnier though. Like it's. It, it honestly wouldn't be the first time KFC's done, done something game-related. You literally I have mean, the yeah, KFC S5. Yeah, we have the KFC whatever console. It's called. The KF console, or yeah, that. whatever we call it. It's, guess, yeah, it's... And, oh, and the dating game. They have their dating game. I guess... Does this mean that the optimal gaming setup now requires you to have a Series X and a KF console? So that you have your microwave and your mini fridge. 
I'm just sitting yes. here waiting on a PS5. My wallet can't handle all this. But yeah, no. My gaming industry, what are you doing to my wallet? First a fridge, now a microwave, and like uh, I guess the PS5 is your router still. Or, uh, or yeah. okay, here's the here's the real question: is the is the PS5 a Wi-Fi router or uh, Seto Kaiba's jacket? It looks like my old Netgear router here before we just full on upgraded <laughs> our internet. So I would go with that, but. That being said, that is also my DVD player. Oh, it's yeah. It's been my DVD player ever since, what, 2001? Maybe not the PS5, but, like, the entire the line of PS systems has always been, like... Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that part. Maybe it's actually the other systems are jumping on to the PlayStation bandwagon of turning into multimedia devices. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, PlayStation was the one who started it all with, like, doing multiple things aside from just video games. Yeah. For example, my PS3 is a space heater, too. <laughs> Yikes. That's all I gotta say on that one. All I can say is it's optimal for Sly 1 if I ever run that. Um, fair enough. Um, quick question before we move on. Back on the fast food topic. What uh, fast food restaurant would you like to see collab with what video game? <sighs> There's the worst part of this for me. Is I have I have an ironic answer and I have a serious answer. Okay, hit me with both. I want to hear them. What, let's start with the ironic one. Burger King. Fortnite Burger. Oh my god! <laughs> Fortnite, I, no. I, I want at least somewhere to make that like even if it's just for like two weeks or something just like i want that to actually become a reality if people oh, can campaign God. to make the zeshwan teriyaki sauce come back because of a cartoon i want fortnite burger to be a thing for like a week or two just Fortnite burger <laughs> just to see the looks on people's faces oh my god oh as for oh, like an actual thing I don't know what I would see in terms of actually integrating like DLC, something like with Shovel Knight. It would be uh, cool to like I believe see it's all cosmetic stuff. Though. I believe it is like all cosmetic with the DLC with Arby's. It's all cosmetic. It would be cool to like see either like product placement or like. Oh no! Oh no! Another cursed idea entered my mind. <laughs> Let's finish this one first, and then we'll hear that cursed the second cursed idea. Because I was gonna say like something like maybe have like Subway show up in like say like in the next GTA or something. Have make maybe Subway show up or something, and then you could actually like just go and eat there or something. Kind of, make kind, a, kind of like uh, get some good old like old GTA where you can actually enter the restaurants and order food. Yeah. Hell no! You put it in a Yakuza game and you make a oh. freaking sandwich making mini game oh my god yes I know yes. those games I know those games are known for either their main story or all the crazy side modes you can oh do oh my god you you have you have uh, just uh, entered Tony's happiness mode because you just said the, the magic word of the day Yakuza uh, as the avid guy who has I think talked countless hours about how much the Yakuza series is great and everybody should play it yes 
yes, I would definitely like to see, I guess, now Ichiban Kasuga enter the local subway and make sandwiches. Yes. Just absolutely yes. So what's the second cursed idea that you got? A cosmetic mod for, like, the 3D World port that turns all the green stars into the Carl's Jr. stars. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, it, it took it took a moment, but I I, I heard that just go off in your head, and it's just like that's just cursed enough because there's there's already the eyes there. All you need to do is slap the little smiley on. All you got all you gotta do. You hear? Hey 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 there, modding community. It's Tony from Tony's Game Lounge. How you doing? Um, if you could do this for us, hey, I I, I don't know what I'll pay you, but I'll. Give you a good firm handshake when COVID's done. That's all I gotta say. I agree, actually. Yeah, like, until things sort out in the States here, it's a good thing we're a podcast and not like a full on show yet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't even know, like, how this would work as a proper show with, like, how. Where most of my. Where, like, all my guests come from. Like, we've had people. Like, we've had Emerald on. We've had. Mac Ryan on people have that have been like in various parts of uh, North America. Um, so, if this was to become like a proper show, it would be like I, I think I've talked about before, like either what I'm streaming or on here that I would like to actually like do like proper live streams of said show with face cams and shit. Eventually, I just don't have a good enough computer yet. I don't same. have a proper PC. I just have my laptop, and that's everything I have. Oh my god, same. <laughs> um, Mine's. Mine's literally a family gift to me from 2016 from a Walmart. Mine's from 2016 as well, except it's not from a Walmart. It's from my college course because you, you had to pay two grand for it. And, but you get to keep it. But yeah, good old college. With that, um, we're going to jump into the week in review. This week in review, a look back at top headlines and stories from the gaming world. And this week on the Week in Review, uh, some games that came out this past week. We had Yakuza Like a Dragon for the PlayStation 5, uh, Car- uh, Harvest Moon, One World for the Switch, and Kill It With Fire coming out to the consoles. The very fun game where you kill spiders because spiders have infested your home and everywhere else. And so you find creative ways to kill them. Like with fire, or with an RPG, or whatever other means you may find. <laughs> um, those are the games that, uh, some of the games that came out this past week. In the news department, Mr. Sakurai presents Pyra and Mithra, the little special live stream showing off the brand new uh, characters for Smash Bros. Uh, the new stage is the Sea of All Arrest on. Uh, Gramps' back, uh, if you've played Xenoblade 2. Um, we got uh, some the color swaps uh, for the co- or the alternate costumes include a spoiler that I will not be going into. Um, there is a Nia skin for Pyra and Mithra, where they have like a nice little brown color on them. Uh, and there is an entire color swap where Pyra is looks like Mithra and Mithra looks like Pyra. Which is really dope. 
Um, com- the character analysis, Mithra uh, has more speed, higher jumps, um, and Pyra hits harder. Um, Mithra's perfect dodge is actually a foresight. Um, and so it's not a special. It's uh, you got to actually like dodge and do the fucking parrying and all that stuff. Um, all their regular attacks are the exact same, just with different power and speed. Um, their specials, uh, they work like old melee Zelda and Sheik, where down B swaps them. Um, for Pyra, her neutral is Flame Nova, her, her side is Blazing End, and her up is Prominence Revolt. For Mithra, her neutral is Lightning Buster, her side is Photon Edge, and her uh, up is Ray of Punishment or Chroma Dust, depending on the input that you use. Um, their two final smashes are Burning Sword and Sacred Arrow. We are getting 16 new Xenoblade tracks that can be used on both Xenoblade stages now. And the Mii costumes are all Capcom-based, actually. No new Xenoblade costumes. Uh, we are getting the Hunter Equipment and Rathalos costume returning from Smash 4. We are getting the Feline Hat. So now you can be... <coughs> Ugh. One second, sorry. Getting a feline hat uh, based off of, um, I believe, Monster Hunter. Um, And we're also getting Sir Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins as well as a me costume. And the characters, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, by the time you're listening to this podcast, the characters are out now. Uh, Which was unexpected. I was thinking they would be out later this month. But they're out now, which is amazingly cool. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Torp? I'm being honest, I probably... Well, I haven't actually touched the game much, but Pyro and Mytha honestly look like very interesting characters to me because <clears throat> stance change is one of those mechanics that like I've really started in more recent times to appreciate. Like, I've been going through a lot of Pokemon, and like some of my favorite Pokemon that have been coming up have been a lot of stance change sort of Pokemon, where they change forms and how the forms are fight. Mm. So Fire and Mithra having that does bring me back to the Zelda Sheik days, where it's that same sort of deal as well, where you can just kind of just tailor your play to the character that you see fit. And in that sort of sense, I feel like if Pyramithor sees a lot of competitive play, it's going to be the same sort of deal with Trainer where each player is going to have their own like their own take on that scale of how much they use one character versus the other and how that uh, warps into their game plan. Yeah. So I look forward to it because like Trainer is already one of my favorite characters to watch in competitive Smash because of that stance change mechanic and again how they work with that game plan so i'm looking forward to it Mm -hmm. very much so it's really really cool um we have only two characters left to be unveiled um who are your you have any predictions that you want to see uh for the last two characters i've already given up on mine (laughs) who are yours who who are yours who are your originals One's a me costume, Mega Man EXE, which would have just been a Mega Man Echo, if I'm being honest. And then the other's Hat Kid. Oh, the hat. I'm surprised Hat Kid wasn't, hasn't been made... A, I mean, I'm, I'm not really surprised, but I think that they should, like, 
get like an if anything i would like to see like a spirit for hat kid at the most yeah it's just that shante is probably the most likely indie rep if we do get an indie rep so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm not holding my breath for my picks fair enough uh i'm still holding out for either kiryu or majima even though i know it's highly unlikely i'm still holding out for my boys (laughs) given the sheer like wacky variety of game modes you can do in yakuza a crossover to Smash, it would when work you word for it like Kiryu. that. It could work it like that. It's not out of the realm of question. It isn't. Like you could easily do like how Kiryu fights in Zero and Kalami One with his four stance changes, uh, or just oh, at God, least you... base the moods off the moves off of him like that. Or you know, you just implement that entirely where you have all four stance changes in the game. And how he fights is determined like that, which would be heckin' pog heckin' poggers, in my opinion. But again, Kiryu has I think like there's more of a chance of Kiryu getting into uh, what is it Tekken's the new Tekken Tekken Seven because of the I I don't even know how old those image leaks are that people saw Kam- like people like yo is that Kamarocho and. There's been rumors about that, but I still don't know if anything's been delivered on that end. But yeah, um, that was the Sakurai Presents. The characters are out now, so which or uh, yeah, out, out now. If you're listening to this again at the time we're recording this, the presentation just happened this morning. Um, in more news, Epic Games has bought the Fall Guys company, Tonic Games Group. Uh, so now uh, there's. A possibility that the beans will make it into Fortnite in the future, and the Fortnite might make it into the the fall game, fall guys. Um, so expect that possibly or don't. Who knows? Uh, in some good news after that awful news, uh, Ratchet and Clank is free on the PlayStation Four and PlayStation Five without plus right now, uh, for the whole month of March. Uh, or uh, for the first little while of March, but it's free. Go get it. It's a free game. It's for that stay-at-home incentive. Um, this is the 2016 version of the game, the one that's based off of the mo- the movie. Or, yeah. Uh, and you run Ratchet & Clank, don't you, Torp? I don't run that one, but I actually do know a few people that do run that. I know one question that has been coming up that I'm not sure on whether or not the answer is for it is if that version is going to come with the bouncer DLC as well, because as it stands right now, the only, the only version you can get that actually still has the bouncer DLC, all codes like the pre-order codes have expired or have since expired. The only one that you can actually like go and buy the DLC for is the Japanese version. So, I have to look into that myself, see if the bouncer's on this or not. Either way, like, I would still recommend it because at the very worst, it's a Ratchet and Clank game. It plays very much like you just take over the top weapons, destroy everything, and you get a nice little bit of fun out of it. Nice. Not to I've mention, never... oh. you have a lot of returning weapons in that game, in that if you've played one of the previous games... It's going to play similar enough to those that you're never going to feel alienated in that game. Nice. 
I've never played a Ratchet and Clank game, so I'm excited to finally try one out. Uh, in more news, uh, Dead by Daylight has added their new killer, and it's all based on K-pop. Uh, the k- new killer is called the Trickster, and the new survivor added is Yoon Jin Lee. Um, so, the new- and uh, I got according to some images that I've seen, the Trickster's got a bulge, and uh, don't know how to react to that, really. But hey. If you like K-pop, go play Dead by Daylight. Uh, because all, all, all over Twitter, people are just wanting this killer to step on them. And I'm just like, oh, cool. It's Lady... Uh, it's it's, va- it's Vampire Lady from Resident Evil all over again. Awesome. <laughs> um, oh, the yeah, PlayStation Store... What was that? Sorry? You reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the PlayStation Store will be removing the ability to rent and buy movies and TV shows uh, coming at the end of August. August 31st, that's all going away. Uh, mostly because of how b- every streaming platform is on the PlayStation. So, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's happening. Uh, EA has delayed the new Need for Speed game to next year. Um, because Criterion Games have been put on to work with DICE to help with Battlefield 6. Um, Animal Crossing Horizons has now returned to March, which was the launch month uh, a year ago that kicked off quarantine, so um, this is also the first uh, official time, if you decided not to time travel, that you can finish off your museums if you've been doing everything. This will be the chance for you to finish off your bug diving and fish museums if you never finished them if you didn't do everything for March back when it launched um, as for artwork and fossils if you have been playing the game recently your fossils are most likely complete and artwork who even knows honestly like that's so sporadic that if unless you've been like trading with all your friends it's tricky to get all the artwork um, in movie news Ariana Greenblatt who played young Gamora in Avengers has been announced as Tiny Tina in the Borderlands movie. Which is getting its cast all together. We now have, to my knowledge, I think most of the cast for it. Um, In lawsuit news, the biggest lawsuit that will probably be of 2021, the Apple versus Fortnite, is officially going to court May 3rd of this year. If you want all the information on this uh, court trial and what it's all about and how things have been going down up to this point, um, you can find, uh, I think the most de- one of the more detailed articles is on PC Gamer, to my knowledge. Uh, Frogwares, the studio behind The Sinking City, DMCA'd their own game off of Steam. Uh, that's because the de- developers and publishers are in a bit of a war right now. Uh, with uh, the studio specifically is uh, disputing it with their publisher Nacon, who put the game on Steam, and they're like, "No, the game's not done. This is pirated." They feel calling it pirated. Essentially, they took it off. So that's been going on. Uh, AMD has announced the RX 6700 XT graphics card is coming later in March. So, you now have another card to compete with the 3070 and the 3060. 
Uh, mobile game studio Zynga have acquired Extra Games, the developers of Torchlight 3. Uh, this move was made to work on an undisclosed RPG currently and help Zynga make some moves in the PC market. Uh, Sony has put out a very weird patent to make a banana controller. Wasn't that just the PS3 prototype? I don't know, but there's they've there is an active patent for a banana controller that Sony has just put in. So I, I don't know if it was a, if I think they might be working on. I, I mean, I'm down for bananas. I, I although I I would I was good. I, I would say this sounds more like a Nintendo move. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like. I, I could see it for Nintendo because Donkey Kong is literally exactly. right there in their first parties. Exactly. Like we're gonna uh, get the banana Joy Cons, just two exactly. full-on bananas. You just slide onto your Switch. <laughs> I don't know, man. If people can like make electrical currents and stuff with like potatoes, true. I feel like someone could actually like make a banana, like literally a controller. Yo, if you if you're scientifically smart and can do all that stuff. Make a banana controller. I'd love to see it. Um, and lastly, uh, Papa Jeff Keeley and Joseph Ferris, uh, if you're listening to this, again, day on release, this hasn't actually happened yet, day of recording. They had a special interview about uh, It Takes Two, um, talking more about the game, what to expect, and uh, it looks dope. Uh, if you don't know who Joseph Ferris is, if you remember the Game Awards a couple years ago, he's Fuck the Oscars guy. And will eternally be known as that guy. Be- beautiful man. I love that dude so much. Like, f- his personality just shines bright. Um, on to the draw of the deck. The TCG news this week. In the world of Pokemon, we got some new Pokeball tints that have hit Amazon. Um, and they are topping the charts. Grab them before they sell out. They came out March 5th. Uh, in the Yu-Gi-Oh! world, the Ancient Guardians booster set came out on the 6th. And in Magic the Gathering, they have announced Time Spiral Remastered, a physical-only set launching on March 19th. It will not be available digitally at all, instead only being made available in some draft booster packs of 16 cards each. In the Dice is Right, in the world of board games, uh, we talked about it last week, that Skyrim board game has been making more waves. A lot of more people are talking about that announcement. The uh, 1-4 cooperative-style gameplay is what it offers as an open-world tabletop-style game. And Vampire Masquerade Chapters is currently in its crowdfunding style, crowdfunding phase. It's a Gloomhaven-type game and currently has raised $2.5 million Canadian, uh, according to uh, some reports, which is really, really dope. On to On Your Radar. From AAA titles to upcoming indies, here is what should be on your radar. We have uh, some more games coming out next week. On Monday, the Elder Scrolls Online Flames of Ambition DLC make it to the PC and Stadia. On Tuesday, Apex Legends makes its way to the Switch. And Genso Skydrift comes to the PS4, as well as the multiplayer mode update for Watch Dogs Legion. That's for wherever you play at Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, nothing on Wednesday, but on Thursday, Monster Energy Supercross, the official video game for, come out comes out on everything except the Switch. Cyanide and Hap- Happiness, Freakpocalypse Part One makes its way to the PC and the Switch. 
So now you can play as those adorable little cartoons and see what dark humor is in this game. Uh, Monster Truck Championship comes to Europe on the PS5 and, and Series X. Total War Three Kingdoms Face Divided DLC comes to the PC. And on Friday, Drive By, spelt B-U-Y, so you're buying something, uh, comes to the PC and Switch. And Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time, makes its way to the PlayStation 5, Series X, and the Switch. Uh, any thoughts on the games coming out this week, Torp? Uh... Most of these I have not played. That being said, Apex coming to the Switch is something I do look forward to because I like that it that the Switch is starting to become a console as being more included when it comes to things like this. Not to mention, I'm pretty sure from what I've heard that's going to be entirely cross-plat. So for people who do have, say, like a Switch and then someone else that plays PC, it's going to be good in that sort of sense to be able to connect with them. The other one that caught my eye was Crash was Crash 4. I honestly thought that I was going to stay a PS4 exclusive, but given the recent track record with like the Spyro Reignited, uh, Crash Insane like coming to other platforms as well. Yeah, I figured it was going to be about time that it came to. Uh, <laughs> it's intended. about time! <laughs> That's unintended, but I figured it was about time for it to come to other platforms. Yeah. Very much so, and uh, they actually at the if if you watch the Sony Sony State of Play event, they went over all the new things that the upgraded version for the PS5 will have, um, with all the graphics and all those fun little spec things. That if you're into that stuff, if you just like playing games, then hey, it's gonna look pr- extremely pretty. It already and looks that's really cool fun. too. Yeah. Um, and that is the we- and that is those are the games that should be on your radar. And now, folks, it's time to jump into today's topic with this week in the game lounge. This week in the game lounge, Tony talks a variety of topics with his weekly guest. And uh, Torp, we'll let you intro our first topic that we're talking about. All right, this year. So, Tony approaches me. I'm a speedrunner, right? My thing is going fast. Tony's just like, what's something that you think you could talk about? And for me, really all I have to show for is speedrunning. Heck yeah. But we've already had a speedrunner on here, so I have to We've had multiple. We have had, you're right, actually. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot more speedrunners coming on the show, too, but hey. Got, I love talking about it because it's a really cool thing that you get so many different angles from like each person. Each person's different with how they with their speed running and everything. But oh yeah, there is honestly as many different speedrunners as there are different speed games. Oh, honestly, more because that's something like Mario sixty four has like over a thousand runs. Yeah, but that being said, though. The cool thing about the hobby is there's so many different things that you can like learn from it or like have as like talking points. In my own case, as a speedrunner, I feel like my own biggest strength is mentality. So that's going to be the thing I'm going to be talking about is the mental game of speedrunning, which in my honest opinion, I feel like speedrunning is like there's always going to be that that technical skill. I I got to I gotta like look at the mic when I do this. I'm looking off to the side because I'm thinking as I go, <laughs> just to make sure I don't talk myself in circles. So I'm just gonna do this and hold the mic. 
<laughs> but the thing I the thing I probably take pride as a runner the most for me is my mentality in that a good mentality will basically trump almost all sorts of like other shortcomings you might have as a runner in that maybe you're able to take resets much better because like hey you're just sitting there enjoying just playing the game maybe you're able to deal with droughts for much longer because hey you have this rock hard determination that cannot be shook maybe it's the opposite maybe you can't feel you get something going as much and as a result your play will suffer like Mentality is one of those things that for a runner is very, it's very, uh, how do I put it? Because it's not really subtle. Everyone knows that mentality is like one of the biggest things to go about it. But you underestimate it even more than you would think, despite the sheer impact that it has. A good example I've had with myself is... The other, like the two main games I've been running at the moment are Ratchet and Clank Going Commando and Ratchet and Clank Tools of Destruction, which are two different games within the same series that have two completely different ways that they play. But in my own case with Going Commando, I had a period of like nine months where this is actually what honed my mentality as much as it did. Despite playing actively like five to six times a week, and this is like five or six hour streams at the time, I did not PB for nine months. And through this, I have was actually able to use that to understand myself more as a runner and bring it forward as a subject to talk about, of course. First things first, though, is your type of personality that you are as a person does also bleed into, like, how you are as, like, say, a runner, even, like, as a streamer. So... Your type of personality will probably be the thing that kind of like changes how this whole game plan would work for you as a runner. If you're someone that doesn't feel as confident in yourself, it might be something where you might be setting yourself back mentally with that. Say like, oh, I don't know if I'm as capable of doing this. But what I think it takes, what I think it takes it in order to master like mentality is... Being a being constantly aware of your own progress. The way I like to describe it is you're you're never like actively losing practice as a runner. You're only ever adding things to your repertoire. The most you might do is like level out for a bit and plateau. But the biggest piece of advice I have to offer is there's always a positive takeaway from your session. There's always something that you can go back, look at the session with, and there's something. Even if it's one single thing, even if it's completely arbitrary, if it's one single thing that shows that you've made some sort of progress, that whole session was worth it. Because it might be some something much more minute than, say, like, a week ago whenever you were like golding every other split but zooming out looking at the big picture you're still on that upward trend and it's that mentality i think that if you're able to adopt that even if it's something that doesn't come as naturally to you even if you're able to hold yourself accountable to sticking to that 
it helps you to become more aware of the progress you've made. Say if it's a new goal, say if it's you had a decent sample size of runs that got to a certain point. Hell, one of my biggest things as a runner is I'm able to take a lot of chokes with strides, like in strides, because while it does suck, you will a choke is going to be a choke. You're always going to feel like the pain of that if you lose a run like two levels before it ends. But the other side of that same coin is also you got that far on pace. Clearly, you're playing well because something had to go right to get that far with your pace. And I feel like that's also something that can be applied to other aspects. Like, say if you're in a fighting, like you're in like a fighting game sort of deal. You're able to like, say if you choke game five in a set in finals. You have that chance that like shows like you've made this progress that you got this far in. And then you can also just see what happened in the moment when things went wrong. And then that can be another little mental note that you know for next time. Especially like in the, in the topic of speedrunning. Depending on what game you're running, how much you've been running it, or how long. You can have anywhere from like a few thousand attempts. I'm nearly at 14,000 attempts myself in Ratchet & Clank 2. And I still... I will still have runs where it's like I understand where it went wrong and then like from there it's another thing I end up learning again in that maybe you might not have learned how it works but you know a way that it doesn't and from that you just gain more understanding of the game as for things specifically that I try to bring forth though it's that same sort of deal where i try to keep like bringing up on stream where it's like i understand like usually like if i lose a run somewhere i understand where it went wrong and then most of the time as well if it's something i haven't seen before it's yet again that sort of deal that's something you learn from it you understand you can understand where it went wrong maybe your angle was a little bit off and you just haven't had that interaction before Again, that's another thing you learn. Little things like that are why I say like you accrue little like 2% advantages as you go. And then from that, it doesn't even have to be in runs. You can use practice as well to help gauge that. Uh, say, for example, you're practicing a frame-perfect trick. There's a mental side to that as well where you learn accountability from also taking accountability for your own mentality. That sounds like it's really weird the way I just worded it, but from honing your own skills as a runner, you start learning other skills that might not be so relevant to speedrunning at first, but then feeds back into itself. So from that, you can learn accountability, which would help you understand why certain things went wrong, help you practice a little bit more responsibly, and so on. That being said, it is also good, don't dwell on your successes or your failures for too much. Take it at surface value of, 
hey, this is improvement, or hey, this sucks, I just lost this run. And then just take that quick chance to like look back at it. And there's things you can pick up on it. Uh, who was it? I think it was... Was it Daigo? That said something along the lines of whenever he'd win a tournament, he would be like, I'm glad I won and everything. And then like, not even the next day, like later on that night, he would get back to the grind and start practicing again. That being said, that is where personality kind of comes back in. Cause sometimes things might not be as such a similar case. I know in my own case, the reason why I feel like I do really well when it comes to that whole like recess and stuff is I'm, I'm no stranger to the grind. I actually really enjoy being able to track my own progress. So that's where for me, I like using my own mentality to like help bolster that. I just realized I've went on for like five, 10 minutes without. <laughs> no, care. that's a okay. Honestly, it's, uh, with this segment, it, I, I was trying to th- when, trying to think of like questions to ask you specifically. I'm like, I don't really know like what to really ask for this. So like letting you go on that tangent really actually kind of helps me out of like figuring out questions to ask. And one of them I do have is how with how, how long have you been speed running, and then how long have you had uh, your the mentality that you just went on about for your speedrunning career has it been the entire time or was it after like a couple of years or so this is a weird one both of them actually are weird questions because i consider myself a speedrunner for like going on seven years now but like at first i was only really an il runner and that's a whole different mentality with with il runs where you're just going through single levels, just trying to get a time in that. You don't worry about resets so much because the levels may be, what, two minutes at most? Uh, That's a very, very generalized statement, but it's usually a much shorter percentage of the whole run that you're doing. So in that sense, it's much easier to grind out attempts because since there's less time investment that goes into actually doing the split in particular... There's, I guess, less attachment to it. Which I think is why people would get nervous on pace for full game runs. Even some later, like, IL runs. But. So for IL runs for me, I always got the mentality of, like, eh, if it's not to my liking, I can just reset it and just get another one in, like, five minutes. Whereas, like. I started picking up full game runs more like 2015, 2016, as I just messed with different games. I consider myself like a serious speedrunner for like the past four years. Which, in that time, I kind of just had that lackadaisical approach at first when it came to speedrunning, where it's just like, I'm just going to play, I'm going to have fun, and if I get good, I get good. And... And it was about mid 2018, I think, where I started sticking my nose to the grind and started like picking up on those things because 
I feel like my own legacy I want to leave as a runner. Say if I retire, something happens to me before I actually end my own career running or something like that. I feel like the legacy I want to leave behind is the example of any any old Joe Schmo can do it. Because it is pretty much that. It's just you are your own you you are your own biggest support when it comes to that like you might be your own biggest critic but you're also your own biggest like supporter cuz if you think you can do it then that's already part of it dang th- those are really good words to live by honestly it's not pretty wording but <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously we could word it a lot prettier, but the the gist of it, yeah, you are, we are our own supporters and our, our biggest supporters and our biggest, all, our biggest supporters and our own worst enemy at times as well. Oh, yeah. It's like, I imagine in your case, you've had an example, like say a trick you want to learn in a game. And oh, yeah. Insane. And then you think about it, and it's like, no, there's no way I can do that. Oh, yeah, I could definitely vouch for that. <laughs> I, <laughs> Remember I could, Hollow Knight? Oh, uh, yeah. I could give an example of like, oh, this isn't a video sort of one, because I was going to say Cineflips and Ratchet and Clank 1, or Infinite Long Jumps, which are, you're chaining side flips into long jumps, which are already like button combinations you have to do you're chaining them into each other in a very consistent rhythm. And this is like, uh, I think Cineflips go up to like 13 inputs a second. 13 inputs a second? I My forget the exact God. amount, but that is one of those. I do I have a controller near me. Cause like there's like a certain rhythm that you have to hit. Oh my God. And it's one of those where it's like, it, yes, it's a much more extreme example of it, but it introduced that process of you see it, you doubt yourself at first because it's like, that looks way too insane. You try it out a little bit, you're going to suck at it, of course, because like you haven't messed with it too much. You haven't gotten enough experience to like understand things yet. And it's like the more you get used to it, the more you start to understand how things work, you start getting it a little bit more. Yes, that process that process might fluctuate depending on the trick or whatever game you're running. But there is always going to be that general timeline of like, you don't know if something's possible. You mess with it for a while. You learn it. You get back to messing with it more. You start hitting it a little bit more consistently. And it's a process that just like builds on itself. And that's why I say like, always be aware of the pro- of the progress that you make. Because even if it is, even if you go from getting it once last week, say you're hitting it twice a day now. That's where you have to have like that really open mind to understand like, yes, this might not be my desired result yet, but I'm working towards it. And I feel like if you still have a goal in mind and are doing every little thing you can to work towards your goal, even if you make only the slightest process progress in the process words are hard words are hard <laughs> you will but see yeah, it through. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think before we wrap up this uh, particular topic, do you have anything else that you want to add specifically? I feel like I talked about most points. I might have repeated myself a couple times on certain points, but it is one of those things where it's... Another thing as well, that's something it's a little bit tangentially related, is that from speedrunning, it's that same sort of mindset you can apply to that to that sort of way of learning a trick. I've had it in cases for me where I've actually gotten better with some of my own life skills through speedrunning. Where in some cases I've been able to like Oh, I just had one. I just had one that escaped my mind. Like, for example, something I've been wanting to do is, like, lose weight. And one of the biggest takeaways I've had for that is I might not be seeing all of my results that I want to see yet, but I know as long as I keep doing something that's productive to my goal, it'll be seen through. It's a bit sad that it took something like speedrunning as a hobby for me to pick that up for, like, basic life things, but there's always, like, something you can learn and I think that's just like the really cool thing about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's before you even talk about like streaming speedrunning or anything like that, and like <laughs> the community around it. That's just literally you playing the game. Yeah. But that could be a topic for another guest. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for that, Torp. With that, we're going to move on to our second topic of the podcast. Persona. Uh, which has it, it's such a good fr- franchise. I even though I've only played one of the main games, I I, I really enjoy it. Um, and so we're gonna start with the first question. What was your first Persona game? This one's actually fun because I got into the series through the weirdest of things. I actually played Etrian Odyssey first. And I'm like, I like this sort of like dungeon design and stuff. But I didn't know like what else to look into from Atlas. So then I'm just sitting there bored browsing Twitch. I saw the news that Joker got revealed into Ultimate and I'm like, huh, ain't that neat. I thought I thought nothing of it at the time because I'm like, what, Persona? And then my emote artist at the time was streaming his own first playthrough of Persona 5, and I'm like, I'm going to watch that. That I'm going to support him. The dude's a chill dude. And chilled for a while. He was in Kamoshita's Palace, just like doing some stuff there. I'm like, I love the UI of this game. RPG map battle mechanics are something I really vibe with. I'll chill for a while. I watched about at least three quarters of the game through his stream. So then I'm like, all right, I got to play this series for myself. But I don't have a PS3 at this time. So what am I, someone that just has a Switch and a PS2, going to do? So then I looked online. There was nothing I could find online for a decent price to play any of those games. So I just look at local stores. Got a copy of Persona 4. And that was my own first experience with Persona, which... I don't know if it's the 
most optimal one to play because I played Persona 4 and not Golden, so I didn't have any of like the quality of life features that were added into that, like the skill cards or the manual picking of skills. But once I came to grips with mechanics, understood like, hey, swapping these personas and stuff, it was one of those games for me that ignited that spark of like, all right, I'm going to really get the grips of these mechanics, try to understand how to fuse these personas, and I'm going to make the best builds I possibly can. That being said, I'm going to make a party members the same way. And that's also what incited the side of me that also plays Persona like an arms race. (laughs) Which I'm really looking forward to playing the parent series Shin Megami Tensei because I know those are a lot more mechanics driven than the Persona series. Persona is more story based from what I've been told. Yeah, Persona has a lot of good story elements and Shin Megami Tensei, while there is some story, it's hardcore on the gameplay that's when i like i came to understand the thing that really ticked for me it's going to be persona 4 spoilers in terms of like dungeon name oh yeah we should probably uh heads up i should have said this at the start uh we will be talking about the persona series in a bit of depth so if you haven't played any of these and want to avoid any spoilers here's your spoiler warning go skip ahead to the bonus level right now all right so heaven and persona 4 was like both where I got really invested in the story and really invested in like building like building the persona sets because I'm like all right little 50 something personas now are like the right level where you're getting like the dying skills your auto buffs and just overall a lot more viable moves so my own first like time sinking my teeth into that was building a tri-auto set. Which... There's the auto buffs, your Rakukaja, Tarakaja, Sukukaja, which are your attack, defense, and agility. Not in that order, though. I think I said a defense, attack, agility. But... So there's the skills that make you automatically have them at the start. And around 45 to 50 is when you start getting them as like the auto for the whole party. So, after spending, because you don't have manual skill picking, I had to re-roll the inherited skills, which is, you select the personas, you check the skills, you cancel out to the first persona picked, and then pick the other two again. After three hours of doing that. My god. I got the set. I never died the rest of the game, but everything else, I would probably kill in a hit or two, and that put me on a power trip. So, <laughs> that was my first experience with Persona. I found Persona 3 sometime later, but it was like the original version, but it came with like a little collector's edition. Ooh. And that's a game that took that philosophy I already had and made it even worse. Because that game introduced... <laughs> stat incense cards where you can permanently boost a stat oh okay and said stats carry over in fusion oh boy because persona 3 
like base game compared to FPS has a very limited persona pool. You basically have so many recipes to the same persona that what I ended up doing would be like recalling one of like the original ingredient personas that I had that had like the really boosted stats and literally fusing it off just to make a ton of godforsaken like steroided love children. <laughs> steroided love children. That to is a point, that is a line. To the point where I had like end game stats. I had like a level 40. Wow, god, what was the persona's name? Not a Taishi or something, which is like level 37 at base. It was like level 41 and it had 99 attack and <laughs> I think that's the side of me that just like realized, hey, I want to do a challenge run of one of these games at some point. I went into Persona 5 and that game, I personally think it's easy, not because the enemies and stuff are are lacking, more so because that game is more open to you in terms of like, it's the most creatively free I think you are to build your sets. Which yeah. I think is a really good thing. That yeah, being said, so. <clears throat> oh, I outfitted best girl to be a psychic and gun absolute like unstoppable force. So when you say best girl, who is your best girl? Given that I said psychic and gun. Haru? By far. Okay. Okay. Respect. It was to the point for me in Persona 5 that Haru, like Haru Joker was like the ultimate battle couple because one of them one shot kills like the actual move and the build I had made, which like became an iconic build for anyone that like either that I would watch that would want to learn the build or that would watch me play the game because I streamed my original playthrough of Persona 5. It was a set that I basically became synonymous with funny enough, the demon set. And it was a gun build that focused on like max damage output, max crit output. And upon teaching that to other people, it made me realize I'm like, I want to do a challenge on a Persona 5 at some point, but what would I do? Fast forward to Royals release, I play through that game casually, do the same thing there, except fusion alarms make that even more potential. And then. I play through Royal because of the way I play it. Like I said, it does lead to a lot of parts of the game being very easy because ha 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 funny, big number. Ha ha big number. Go boom. Ha ha. Very much. Yeah. So about a month after release, I beat Royal and then I'm just browsing YouTube. This all has a bit of relevance because I'm browsing YouTube. I come across a channel named your bud, Tevin. And I'm like, I've seen that name before, but not on YouTube. Turns out he actually came into my Twitch, like during my original Persona 5 playthrough. Thought I was on NG Plus because of the sheer damage output I had. My God, that's hilarious. Showed that like the save icon did not have like the Holy Grail on it. So that it was actually a pure NG file. And that's where I remembered and that clicked. And I'm like... I'm going to watch his runs. One of the ones that came out for Royal was, can you beat Persona 5 Royal with only Joker on Merciless? 
and in his run he got as far as Madarame's palace and because of how merciless works Madarame fights the most obnoxious one in the game so basically he rolled it as no without excessive grinding but something seemed off to me on that much love to Tevin he is very much good at what he does it's just because of like the whole speedrunning background for me I never think anything is impossible I think things can be unrealistic, but I never really have like that angling like, no, that can't be possible. So at some point as well, I'm sitting there like I'm sitting there in my spare time, like literally spare time. If I'm sitting there playing another game or like if I'm just sitting there like relaxing in the shower or something, I'm sitting there. I'm like, now, what could you do to get through this fight? It dawned on me. The original Matarame strat I was going to use, if I were to do that challenge run, was going to be, because of how Royal worked, one of the things that makes Persona building and Persona 5 very, very broken, I realize I've segued into the challenge run, which was like after all the other things. I mean, that's A-OK. Talking about this now, we can then jump into the other things right so after I, it. So it is A-OK. <laughs> I know referring to a framework, I've actually like really deviated off script. <laughs> but like we just only moved that up and the few things are kind of like closer oh to yeah no it, it's a-okay it's a-okay my dude so my original idea so what makes persona building in persona 5 and royal absolutely broken is special treatment the perk you get from maxing out the twins the twin wardens in persona 5 or getting rank 5 with them in royal in that you just pay money to ignore fusion level limits. Yeah. And you, have, you have mementos, which makes grinding tick easy. Mm-hmm. Especially in Royal, where Ryuji's uh, instant kill ability is so much better. I, I honestly would have been fine if they just mapped it to dash. They didn't have to do what they did to it, but I'm all about it. <laughs> exactly. So, because of Because of special treatment, that's how you can get, like, that's how you can make that Seth build that I was talking about. Are you able to do like pinned comments or something like that for Spotify? I don't know, but I could do like uh, links in the description. Hmm. Cause that could be a thing. Cause I could actually like, like map out some of my builds and stuff to like help other people get this. Cause it's actually a trip to mess with. <laughs> so I see special treatment being a rank five thing in Royal. And I'm like, that's got to be my key to beating Madarame. So the initial plan, if I, because like I started the challenge run without a solid plan for Madarame, which questionable choice. I mean, it was fine because I suffered like 12 deaths in Kamoshida's palace anyway, because of Archangel. The hardest enemy in the first palace is literally the Archangel. Like once you get full control on April 18th, or I think it was 18th or 19th, it's like a mid-boss in there. Power charge into either Vajra Blast or Cleave, if I recall correctly. Which, when power charge, will pretty much kill anyone. So, your first strat there is to grind to level 10 so you can fuse slime. For the resist physical, 
which turns the fight into you die instantly to you die instantly to a crit. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Merciless, you deal less damage, you take more damage, any weakness, critical, or technical damage from any source to any target is tripled. So, you get hit for like 500 in the first palace if you get crit. Uh, uh, um, oh, boy. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So, after playing Russian Roulette with the <laughs> Archangel, I'm like, okay, you just physically wall Kamoshida for his fight, survive the volleyball spikes, because that's like the toughest part of that fight. And then you get to Matarame. That's also when you get access to Mementos. The original strat was going to be grind to level 29 in Matarame's palace so that you could do all the requirements for strength 5 so you can unlock special treatment. From there, you were going to grind for literal days in Mementos or the palace until you had enough money, which was, which would be a few million yen. In an area where they maybe give out like a couple thousand, yeah, yeah. First, for, yeah, yeah. You have like what the first area of mementos, and that's really about it with for Madarame's palace. You probably would have had like a level fifty or sixty Joker, I think, and you probably would have had like I don't even know how much. Probably just for a couple million, because if it's like thirty levels or more, you have to pay like three hundred thousand her fusion to do that yeah it's a it's a lot of money <laughs> and you need to fusion chain up to because what the plan was going to be would get a fusion route that incorporates i believe gabriel uriel and ariadne picaro because i allowed the use of dlc with the exception of izanagi no akami because most of that dlc is free anyway yeah. So that you would have Angelic Grace, Ollie Dance, and Evade Physical. They don't stack, but I think it's individual procs. So you would have had to have cheesed Madarame's fight by sheer agility. Oh. Then I realized another strat, which is another reason why DLC is super relevant for this run. The introduction of traits, which you get in Madarame's Palace, are basically Pokemon abilities. Oh, yeah. Orpheus has Circle of Sadness, which lets you take four fatal hits, plus Endure. So, there was no there was no getting around the fact that you, you are going to die in Madarame's fight. So why not have something that mitigates death a little bit? That being said, that fight is still hell. <laughs> because... Remember how I remember what I said. One of the biggest things about merciless mode is weakness, technical, and crits all tripled. Tripled. I'm going to test your memory here, Tony. What is the gimmick behind Madarame's fight? Um, His first his painting phase is certain parts only hit by physical, and certain parts only hit by magical, and then when it's the actual Madarame and his multicolors, each uh, of his colors can only be hit by a certain magical move for them to actually take damage. Otherwise, it gets reflected back on you. That is that is how the fight works. 
I was more so talking about artist grace. Oh. Where you become oh. weak to everything. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah, he he paints you. He paints you in goop. He slathers you with his color. Yeah, I forgot about I that one. I know that line painfully well. <laughs> God, I forgot. I, I just recently, because I'm watching P5A, because I'm like, okay, now that I've done the game, I'll watch the animation. And I literally, like, the most recent episode was the Madarame fight. So that... Oh, that's, like, probably one of the things I want to talk about with the run the most. I know I've went on, like, a really huge tangent for the first two palaces, believe me. The rest of this is going to go by kind of fast. Okay. Because there's only really three. It looks like there's four big choke points. There's only three. Oh, okay. That's not that bad. (laughs) So Matarame is, like, of course, the biggest roadblock. What I ended up doing for my run, I grinded up to level 26 so I could fuse Izanagi Picaro because he gets null physical. He's the earliest user of null physical. So that's going to mitigate some of the damage if you can put it onto an Orpheus. In retrospect, I should have grinded to 29 to get uh, Makoto Orpheus Picaro instead of using the Hamuko Orpheus Picaro, which is like level 14. Which made the fight a lot tougher than it should have been, not to mention I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have been using Royal DLC technically for that. I would have only been using Legacy. Yeah. That being said, what the strat is there is you get one of them that has all four of your elemental moves on one set. You also have to get the DLC like uh, save file link. So I think you actually need to basically play and beat Persona 5 before you even challenge this run. So you can uh, get... No, you can get the Legacy DLC just for free without playing Persona 5. No, not that. There's oh. like a save file bonus thing where you get. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The save file bonus. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, there is that. I ne- right. I never got that because I only played Royal. What do you? So, what do you even get? Like, what is it that you get for doing that? I think you get some money. You get mainly some SP restoratives, like Soul Foods, which you oh, okay. will burn at least half of them in that fight for. Yeah. Because. Oh God. Yeah, Artist Grace. If you get there's no there's no way around Artist Grace. So that's where you have to agility that fight out. That's where you have to rely on Cadenza to boost your agility. And hope that you don't get hit or if you do, at the very end of the turn. Because if you get hit by any part of Matarame that's attacking early, you get hit like three times and lose basically almost all your safety nets. So you have to have a fight that can do spread physical damage to everything but the mouth so you can kill them everything but the mouth super quickly. You also, through this, need to recruit and sacrifice that regent that you get because I think you're forced to hold it up. Yeah, yeah, your first regent, yeah. So you may as well get that one. That's the only one you're ever going to get. Because you itemize it, it gives you attack master. That's actually what makes the fight so much more possible. Because you get spread physical move on your Orpheus. I use Dorm and Rush. Which two shots will kill everything but the mouth. Artist Grace doesn't happen until turn three. From there you play the lottery. <laughs> it took me, funny enough, 20 attempts was a very low attempt count. Yeah, all things considered, yeah, actually, yeah. 
that is actually pretty low compared to like other numbers you could probably see for this fight. Uh, apparently, Tevin did like a couple hundred, but God. he also, from what I noticed, did not have the most specialized builds. Mm. And the highlight for the the highlight actually for that for that specific fight actually is on my channel. If you want to see how it goes, God, like I in that whole thing, I had one attempt that made it to the. I don't know why I always called it the Power Ranger phase. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it is. Moderate Rangers, <laughs> which is the reason why I realized I needed a four element attacker. Because yeah. the moment you leave one of them open, you die. Yeah. That being said, you do learn another thing from that fight that if you go through enough clones, he will he will botch his clones. Oh yeah, he does. I forgot about that. It's funny. So, now that you beat Madarame and like have effectively won the lottery. Maybe I should have just got Dream to do that fight for me. <laughs> then the run really opens up. You get through Kanashiro's Palace, which is manageable enough. Uh, from there, once you set the treasure out, you unlock Fusion Alarms, which break the run wide open. Oh, yeah. The name of the run takes a much more calm, much more lame approach. Oh. <laughs> because at that point, you should already have insta-kill for Yuji. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just run things over in Mementos until you get so much money that you can do more things. And then also farm alarms. Yep. Because by no means are these required. You can build up to the Personas, but it makes it so much easier if you get alarm accidents that have specifically fuse a persona during an alarm and then use that same one to fail the alarm. Yeah, and then get, get specialized those. sets. Yeah. What you're aiming to get is maybe something that is like really good at exploiting technical such as like uh something with like sleep plus like psi or nuke or in my case what I try to go for is a persona that has all the element boosts. Cuz getting one that has all the element boosts and all the element amps makes everything so much easier to build because how persona five Royal solo joker, most merciless works is you have preparations for Archangel preparations for Madarame preparations for Yaldabaoth preparations for Maruki. Now you're saying where's like half the game It's because the preparations for certain things just make ease into everything else. Essentially. Yes, you would think that Wakaba, though, would actually be one of the toughest bosses in the run because of the random chance to inflict despair, as well as just really strong heaps of physical damage that potentially, I think, can crit, as well as she can inflict Dizzy. Funny enough, from my preparations that I was making, um, Arahabaki is a persona that you can fuse that has the trait Omen. No, not Omen. The reverse of that, Immunity. Which you just can't get inflicted by any ailments. So I fuse it up into my boy Gear Makala. The fight becomes a total joke. I take maybe 60 damage at a time. Oh yeah, your spare time in the real world is spent building social links that are relevant to your own run. But another rule I had implemented, I probably should have prefaced this at the start, was I was not allowed to use party members in battle. If they were forced in battle, they, were, they would have to guard. Or I would have to find a way to make the most dead turn possible with them. 
Fair nor, enough. Nor can I use their abilities that would actually influence the battle, such as on sexy technique, which would make some someone miss. Yeah. So, with that restriction in mind, almost none of your party social links can actually be leveled up. Ryuji, his only boost like hold up things, and then like insta kill is a bit of a gray area because even though it's technically Ryuji's skill that influences a battle, you don't have to have him in the party for insta kill to proc. Yeah, which is why you get away with that. I mean, if you didn't, it would just be an even lamer approach. Yeah, very much so. So the rest of your spare time, since most of the non-party social links are at night, most of your daytime is spent in Kichi Joji literally going to the shrine. Just to build up that SP. You have like, I had like, I think 400 SP or something like that in Futaba's Palace. My god. I was also level 40-something going into that palace because I ended up, like, being level... I think level 28 or 29 for the fight with Madarame. Yes, because also you're only one person, all the experience funnels to you, so you get overleveled really quickly. Oh my... Yeah. (laughs) God. Uh, Um, So you said the next big point was uh, Yaldabaoth. That's what you're working up towards. Yes. So the entire mid-game literally just becomes prepare as much as you can to try to one-shot a final boss. To one-shot him? I mean, yeah, it makes sense on Merciless because he probably just just fucking annihilates you, honestly. But Will people actually... It's not that... It's not that he one-shots you, it's that if you don't one-shot him, Will of the People procs, and it's almost a full heal. Oh, yeah. Right. So, most of that time is spent fusing al- or like you doing fusion alarms, building up your HP and SP so that you can just take in, in like tons of hits. Um, getting the technical advantage thing so you can use that to kind of like kill enemies faster. Uh-huh. Funny enough... Because you become aware of how to exploit technicals, like the extra ones, say, like with Rage and Fire, Forget and Electric. Yeah. Funny little bit of trivia. I actually had a death happen because of this. Oh. You learn how to exploit those, but you yourself become susceptible too, which is actually a really interesting piece of design. Huh. I got raged for like 700 damage in Okumura's Palace because Gear Makala did that to me. God. Ugh. So, Okumura is actually not that straightforward. You have really? to... With that, you're already in the middle of building. You have Network Fusion, so you could technically, I think, Almighty stuff if you already have Almighty Amp and Boost. But a very glaring design problem with that fight is the fact that when new waves get spawned in, it doesn't reset the turn like it does... With a full party. Instead, you're on your one more. So, if you don't have every element on one, you have to instead pass the turn so that you can actually switch again. So, in some ways, on later waves, you actually have to intentionally fail a wave to reset it and then like get the your good footing again. That being said, that's also a fight where you're asking to be crit if you don't have repel physical or null physical or any of that. Wow. 
So most of the game ends up becoming the best way I can describe the game. The challenge itself wasn't necessarily the toughest part of it. It was the preparations. So you want to prepare as much damage mitigation as possible while at the same time preparing as much potential damage as possible. So that being said, you've, you fiend network fusion for almighty amp, almighty boost magic ability. You put that onto literally everything. Okay. And then get skill cards for the skills you need from there. In Merciless, another thing I recommend, especially if you're attacking physically or gunnily, always be immune to the element you're attacking with. Because I'm fairly certain that you can crit yourself on a reflect. Which... If you ever want to see yourself do if you ever want to see four figures done to yourself, highly recommend. I saw someone die to lucky punch like that one time and it was I I felt that. Not lucky punch, oh no. <laughs> God. So you get through Akumra, and then like I don't even remember what happens in Size Palace. It's my least favorite palace in the game. I literally sleep through it. I go and get all the will seed items as well because that's just I'm naturally a completionist when I play, so Yeah. Most of them you honestly don't really need because you probably keep the Ring of Vanity equipped at all times. Okay, after Kumura, you get the size palace. You literally take a nap because well, I actually am one of the rare people that thinks that that's the worst palace in the game. Really nothing happens there anyway because Goro's awakening you literally just kill it before he can even do anything to it but that being said you kind of just at that point are already built enough and you're making your end game preparations that you probably also very much over level that whole palace not to mention size on boss fight got nerfed in in the transition from base p5 to royal so Nothing really happens there, so you're just preparing for December. Shido's Palace ended up being a little bit more difficult than I thought, but that's because not everything guaranteed died in a single turn. Uh, the fight against Goro is pretty much very straightforward. I believe on the second phase, you just wall him with, I think... Oh god, oh god... <sighs> Yes, after 1120, you get the ability to fuse Satan, which allows you to fuse Lucifer, which is one of the personas I had built to try to, like I said, one-shot the Holy Grail. <laughs> Shido's own fight's actually really fun because almighty damage, the, uh, what you call it, the human sacrifice phase does more damage than you think it would, so you actually have to keep up on your buffs. Um, the one-on-one, -on -one, if you get statused, you're boned. But the interesting thing about that fight, actually, is that it forces a full party. Oh, really? Yes. So what you end up having to do... Well, this is where you have to kind of break the rules a little bit. What I end up doing is I go and basically trigger just some random battle on the calling card day. 
and keep literally just causing dead turns until all the other party members fall. Ah, so that way, it for, that way they can't come into battle. Yes. And remember how I said you want all... No, no they, ha- they do come into battle. Your party get, that gets forced in fully is going to be your earliest received party members unless you actually make a party. Oh. So the issue is Morgana automatically levels up, so you can't have him in because he'll have Endure. Not to mention uh, Majestic Presence doesn't necessarily matter because you already have Dear Rahan to fully heal you. But basically the three party members that cause the least influence in battle are on because if you're running Spellmaster on everything, you already are reducing your SP cost anyway and you should already have 999 in both your HP and SP at that point. Between the gym, working out, and the shrine. So something costing like three SP compared to six when you have a thousand doesn't really matter. Makoto, because her trait boosts ailments, like the ailment chances off of like uh, burn free shock, except for bosses can be inflicted with ailments standardly. Yeah. So what everyone alleges is best girl, I guess is just like the ultimate death fodder in my run. Oof, how dare, how dare you? But it's okay, then, I understand. <laughs> and then Ryuji, even though he has the chance to increase physical attacks by 40%, I just went with the strictly magic build for that fight. So he technically had no influence whatsoever. Hmm. Compared to Haru reducing ailment chances, which can come up in that fight, um, Yusuke increasing evasion chances, and then Morgana having Endure. Yeah. Those are basically the three that'll have the least influence in battle. Yeah, makes sense. So what you do is you get them killed before you start the fight so that they all attack, like normal attack, and it repels physical. Which is a cruel way to start that fight because they start off offing themselves. Basically, but then, hey, at least you get to continue the run normally. (laughs) But it turns that fight into if the 1v1 phase was the entire thing. And it's actually a really intense fight because there are certain moves he can hit you with that can insta-kill you. So you always have to keep Endure or something like that on your mind because nothing in that run is free. Except for the entire (laughs) mid-game. Yeah. Uh... So your end-game strats end up being... What I ended up doing was I built Athena Picaro not for Akasha Arts or Grace of the Olive or anything like that. Literally just because she was immune to gun. And that was my gun build. I had three specific personas that I raised their stats up to where they had 99 in the offense that they were going to be, to be attacking with. Which was Lucifer in the lead up to Holy Grail. Athena in the lead up to Holy Grail. And then a painstaking process of leveling up Yoshitsune on the day of Holy Grail. Oh my. That being said, you also have to grind to level 99 before the Holy Grail to maximize your damage output. Funny enough, at that point in the game, though, with how I was built, 
I don't fear the Reaper. Oh yeah, so you could just grind the Reaper to make it easy. And not even like despair floozies or any, any of that. Yeah. Just running a, a power and, and or mind charge build, you two shot the Reaper. Nice. So that one is... of my funniest highlights from that run came from turning a super boss into grinding fodder. That's funny. So you get to the Holy Grail. The issue with that is it has, I think, 15,000 HP or something like that. So what you have to end up doing is like getting debilitate and heat riser set up correctly so that you can unleash a boosted both mind and power charged. You also can't level up Futaba at all because that's also a very gray area question of semantics. And to answer oh, yeah. a matter of semantics, I just don't. So I left Futaba at one because that's forced. Yeah, I forgot you, about that. Yeah. You can't even go for like ultimate support or any of that. Yeah. So you have to have the buffs line up in such a way where you're able to unleash two boosted hits on the Holy Grail. That being said, it's probably going to will the people one of them. Except, yeah. actually, Yaldabaoth, or at least the Holy Grail, was an anti-climax in that run. Because huh. since I was treating it in the spirit of like doing it with Just Joker, at that point I had to bring Makoto, again, least influence in the battle. Or else I believe y'all about forces a full party. Oh. Uh. So. I brought Makoto there literally just to die. Because <laughs> in the spirit of Solo Joker Merciless, I'm also, I also was not allowing myself to do any of like the special actions. So that's why you have to either one shot or try to take out as much of the Holy Grail as you can. Because you can't cut the cords. Oh, Yeah. But in Royal, it's an anti-climax because I think it only does it like once or twice. Oh, okay. In P5, it's like a huge war of attrition where you got to sit there for like 15 minutes. Jesus Christ. But the addition of traits, Network Fusion becomes your best friend because you can get traits and skills and stuff much earlier than you should. Because you can just trade with like specific like ultimate personas. So the name of the game there, you get positive thoughts onto your buffer, which makes your buffs last five turns instead of three. <laughs> which is very relevant because since you've done so much building for the Holy Grail and Yaldabaoth, Yaldabaoth is still actually really hard because unless you're taking out all the parts at once, you're dealing with five attacks at once. Oh yeah, you are. Yeah, because he has his different arms that he and throws. One of the attacks is Artist Grace. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. Right. He take. Yeah, it was like a different part of each of the bosses. Right. Surprisingly, I did not die to either of them. Nice. But it turns Maruki's palace because you're already level 99. You already have your built personas. It literally just turns it into just one final victory lap. And then once you're done with the stuff you have to do in the real world, I just did the memento stuff on top of that normally. Because, hey, why not? Content. Exactly. 
Not to mention the memento stamps, you just dump them all into money and items. Yeah. There's things that spawn sometimes at the start of the an area, which will give you SP restoratives that scale based off your item stat. Huh. So, you end up having a l- way more than you ever need for Maruki's Palace. Like I said, you're already 99, you have maxed out stats... All the social links that you can feasibly do at that point are already done. So beyond just the required palace and the mementos runs, you just sleep. So <laughs> if anything, the hardest part of like Maruki's palace proper is literally just burning that time. Yeah. Just good old sleep or, you know, do what I did around that time. Go fishing. I think I did that actually. I think that's when I, like, I did the last couple days to like to plat the game. It's funny enough. <laughs> funny enough, I got plat on my second playthrough with the challenge run. That and that's that's hilarious. Honestly, it's such it's a great platinum too to get as well. It's just such a satisfying platinum. Good but old Akihabara freaking maid cafe being the last trophy I get. <laughs> so uh... it arises. And take what you know about how you've built your element specialists. Throw that all in the trash. I tried that fight with the element specialist setups where it's like I had certain. The, so the gimmick with this fight, you know this already. Yeah. Thoth has the three separate tentacles that have like different weaknesses. Yeah. So the name of the game ideally is. You want to have personas in there that have two elements and therefore specialize in those two elements. One that can hit one, one that can hit the other. And then you can switch to something physical, right? Yeah. What if I told you that that meant nothing? What? <laughs> because you can't switch personas, you find yourself in really weird choke chokehold sometimes where you have to either end your turn early because you can't switch to another one to capitalize on it. Uh... So... What ends up happening is instead you have to get a persona that can knock out all of those at once in one turn and then damage him. So what you end up what I ended up doing was my Lucifer build that I did. I was gonna morning star holy grail and do at least I don't know, like three quarters of its health like that. It already had 99 magic in because it's an end game persona. It already had like close to 80 attack or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the plan there was between my normal attack coming off the best in slot weapon that I could get. Um, between constantly being buffed as well as, me teaching it the highest tier magic spells which are like 48 sp to use what you end up doing is you have one persona that has to tackle so much of that fight then you have your buffer and then you have your physical attacker but i know you just asked you're probably asking why do you have a physical attacker if you have one that's also worrying about your just normal attack some knowledge I gained from that fight. <laughs> the amount of detail that I'm going to go into with this fight that I've learned from playing this run 
will surprise you because this is actually by far my favorite fight in the run. It's one of the toughest fights in the run, but like, oh my god, is it so rewarding to do? Mm-hmm. I hope you like keep your faith though, because an honest attempt. At oh that my fight, god, it's a it's a great tune. I love I love that song. It's a good song. It, an honest attempt at that fight takes forty minutes. Jesus. So well, then took again, that, it took attempts. a while for the, even just unnormal for me, but still. So you have to spend the first turn or two using your enough spread attacks so that you can tell what is weak to physical, what is weak to your nuke through dark, and what is weak to fire through wind. Even if it's a dead turn or something. Just so you know that when the weaknesses move around, because it's only ever in those blocks. Because Azathoth Phase 2 does that. Right. So... It ends up being a constant thing where you have to maintain your buffs. Thankfully, Pods of Thoughts makes it five instead of three, so it's a lot more free of a timer. And then being able to constantly put out damage. You cannot charge because since one of them is usually weak to physical or something, you have to go through it that way. So you get to Azathoth, you have to like basically keep chipping away at it with very SP intensive stuff which is why if you have like 30 to 50 like soul foods that you'll be fine there as the phase two comes around is, is where you start preparing because at that point since the weaknesses move around you can tailor your setup a little bit to where because it's always gonna it usually ends up being where you can knock it out the tentacles out with two elements instead of like two plus physical or something. So you charge up with something and then just hold on to that. Except there's a timer on the boss fight. There is? There is. At first, when I did the run, I thought it was based on the percentage of HP he has left. And I thought maybe it was like a crisis thing he did. No. There is a flat 40 turn timer in that fight. Oh, no. Once 40 turns have passed, he will use a Megidola own. And not just anyone. He Elizabeths you. Oh, that does a couple thousand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which makes it really scary. Yikes. Because if you're not keeping count of the turns, especially if you don't know how many turns it is. I didn't know about the 40 turn timer when I did that. <sighs> that makes the fight all the more intense because he can use fear on you to stop your turns there um if you don't block light then uh what's it called eternal radiance can make you dizzy which technicals oh no god forbid he eternal radiance is you then technicals into the megadalone oh no oh 4400 there from that one thank you very much oh and that whole fight ends up being this like really chaotic game of like almost cat and mouse 
where you got to like wiggle him right to the certain range and then be sure, be absolutely sure you can push a kill on him. So at that point, I'm like, I don't know about this. I'm going to put enduring soul on, which is basically that endure thing I was telling you about before. Mm hmm. But instead, it fully heals you instead of just leaving you at one. Okay, that's so then nice. You can kind of tell he'll kind of telegraph at that point because you live one at least. I've done because of those three attempts. I've gathered this is bad that it's a decent sample size. <laughs> if you're buffed and he's debuffed, you live one. You actually like flat out live it. It does six hundred and thirty though. Oh, that's a lot, but it's a, it's at least a live. Yeah, it's a difference between, like, Enduring Soul proccing and, like, you still having it. Right. If he's debuffed, but you're not buffed, or vice versa, where you're buffed, but he's not debuffed, does 1,100. And Raw does, like, 16 to 1,800. God forbid he technicals. God forbid. (laughs) So, you get through that. Somehow, for like most of that fight, you end up saving that charge just so you can get him down to about forty percent to push a kill. Pray and then to, you, and then you push the kill. Pray to, I guess, actually pray to Maruki because he technically becomes god in that game. Yeah, pray to Maruki that you get it and then get it, and then you move on to Adam Cadmon. And surprisingly enough, Adam Cadmon Phase 1 is not free. Really? Oh, God. Yeah, like... So if you die on Adam Cadmon, did you die on Adam Cadmon? You don't, or you... I didn't, but if okay. you do die, you restart just that phase. Okay, okay. I was I curious that about that. Okay. Also, to keep up with, like I said, with the with the spirit of... Because at that point, the whole party came to level 99. Yeah, obviously. So, what I ended up doing at that point... You know how like you can find like the dirty laundry? Yeah. It gives them the absolute lowest defense of 10. So, just because, that's equipped on them. It's just like, okay, bye, guys. So, the reason why I have to mention this in particular... You can, you can go into the, into the Marquee fight solo... You get oh. forced to full party for Adam Cadmon. Ah. Uh. But because you have Hifumi maxed out since you need to get Lucifer, mm-hmm. you can swap out them. What I ended up doing for mine, because I maxed out Goro for the whole story little thing at the end. Yeah. Um, I think for mine, I ended up doing... Since he only attacks with Almighty, I think I did on... Makoto Sumire. Okay. Again, for minimal influence. Yeah. At that point, like I said, what's an SP cost being cut going to yeah. do with 999 SP? Exactly. That being said, uh, is Origin Light, I think, is one of the attacks that he uses. The one that hits everyone. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. They all died frame one. They're already falling, and then you see the health bar come up. It did 650 to each of them. 
if you're not keeping on top of your buffs and debuffs though you can get grand palm for 1200 damage best remember to stay on lucifer if you're going to play risky like that mm-hmm. but once you get through that once you get through that then the rest is fine because the rest is scripted yeah the rest is entirely scripted a button press and then punching each other yeah that being said because you have 999 health technically if the fight were to continue on with the fist fight you technically would win yeah so that's a little funny bit of trivia there but i actually have to link you this like separate from the podcast because the final attempt of that fight is actually really intense to watch i I bet it is honestly it's really slow paced because you have to think about every move yeah there's a, definitely a lot. You're playing 5D chess, I can imagine. <laughs> that being said, I actually do want to come back to that run because, like, I do plan on turning it into a video. God, how long of a video would that become? I don't know, actually. That's the thing. <laughs> and the other thing I want to do, because there's still some stones left unturned in that run. And I think you know what I'm thinking of. Oh, fucking Justine and Caroline and Lavenza. Justine, Caroline, Lavenza, Jose, you, Makoto. Oh, yeah, you and Makoto as well. They're level 99 fights. Yeah. I want to go back soon and tackle those super bosses. I think I'm going to do that before I finish the video. Because, like... If I had that much fun with Maruki, I want to see what the other fights are like. Especially because I've heard Lavenza is like borderline impossible. Like, there is one phase where you have to keep like critting every turn or something like that. No, you have to technical every turn. It's something stupid like that where if you don't have Izanagi no Okami, you have to rely so much on certain procs and I want to see if I can find those specific builds to work with that. My god. Uh. Like this sort of question of like I think that's why I get drawn to challenge runs though like as a whole is that it ends up becoming this puzzle to solve and I guess as you can tell I'm someone that loves solving puzzles. Yeah. I mean, also, with this joke, with uh, that one video existing of can you do it and the guy saying not likely, you coming out with this would be like the ultimate I cracked the code. Anime glasses tilt up. It'd be more so like, I, I still like, I honestly did it more so to satiate my own curiosity. Yeah. Like, and if it just so happens that it like it does like I don't know I just went in like I went into it with a mindset of like <sighs> I guess it's like uh, in other recent like gaming related like challenge run news Emerald Kaizo in like the last two weeks actually had someone finish a hardcore Nuzlocke of it <coughs> where it's wow. like just to show that it's possible god it's like that sort of deal of why I want to yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, 
with that, I think that covers the Joker most merciless run. I went on uh, longer than I thought I would have. Hour fifty six in. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's uh, rapid fire the rest of these persona questions that I got. Rapid fire them, and then we'll jump into the bonus level. Uh, favorite persona game overall? Three for the story, five for the mechanics. Nice. Uh, thoughts on the spinoffs? Um, dancing. The games are sadly not worth sixty bucks, but it does provide some nice little sides to the characters. Um, the models and stuff for them actually look really nice. I would love to see Persona Three in the Catherine engine, please. Atlas, please do it. Twenty fifth <laughs> anniversary or something like that. No, it's not yeah. twenty. It's like thirty fifth or something. Uh, Q and Q two. Um. I've heard they're really fun games similar to Retro and Odyssey. They got really blessed character interactions. Group Day Cafe is like half of like the most wholesome interactions in the game. Um, Arena and Ultimax. For those, I've given them a little bit of a try. They're very interesting games. The characters I actually play in Ultimax are actually Shadow Naoto and Yukari. Oh. Which are two completely different modes. One's a little bit more defensive. The other is like specific setups into guaranteed insta-kills. <laughs> Uh, fun fact about Arena Ultimax, I once won a Arena Ultimax tournament at my college that we called the Clash of Casuals. Hey. It, I was, uh, I played Shu, or Sho. Oh! Yeah, fun character. Yeah. Uh, do you think Persona 1 and 2 will ever get a modern era re-release or a port? I hope they do, but they have been a little bit forgotten in the mainstream because 3 through 5 exist. But yeah. I'm not opposed to because I do want to play Persona 2 next. Okay. Uh, well, one thing you would like to see in Persona Six? Oh God, I just scrolled down past the outline. I'm looking at the outline to kind of like just work through some of these as well with you. Um, <laughs> so Persona Six, I just want them to keep the quality of life things that they had in Persona Five because I think more creativity or at least more room to be creative in a game like that is not a bad thing. Do I think it will make the game easier by having the same creativity? Yes, but it's more so a you dive in as much as you want sort of deal. Uh, last as question. For, uh, oh, sorry. As for anything else into that, it would be cool to see them go back to the travel around the world thing that they were originally thinking of doing in Persona 5 before the whole tsunami thing caused them to look more inward with that. Mm. It would be interesting to see how that would be tackled, though. Yeah, that'd be very cool. Uh, last question. Uh, well, we actually kind of, you actually kind of answered it. Um, uh, of playing other any other Shin Megami Tensei games, um, what are your thoughts? But uh, what are your thoughts on the Shin Megami Tensei Five trailer? And are you going to play it? I plan on playing it. Uh, it is Switch exclusive, so I'll probably no. I have to get for that. But honestly, I'm down to do that. My first experience with SMT is going to be with Nocturne because I do plan on streaming it at some point. Because oh, yeah, Nocturne's one of my too. friends has like really been requesting that I play it because of how much I went in on the solo Joker Merciless run. He's like, Nocturne's going to be right up your alley. <laughs> of, course, of course I'm doing hard TDE. Yeah. Like that's a given. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. With that, that wraps up our persona segment and the last uh, of the main topics. We're now going to move on. So sorry. It is a okays, dude. It is a okay. Anyway, moving on to the bonus level. Now accessing the bonus level. And to kick off the bonus level, we got top our top five. 
Uh, top five games we'd like to speedrun but haven't yet. Well, given that you heard how much I went on about speedrunning and that Persona segment, <laughs> usually if I have enthusiasm for some of these things, it's like I'm sitting here like foaming at the mouth ready to try them out. So one of the obvious ones is Celeste. I love the movement in that game. I've already learned a little bit of the movement tech with like hypers, uh, supers, and wave dashes. Not to mention they teach you a little bit in the game as well. I've IL'd some of it. I've actually done a couple runs. I'm not anywhere near like what you would call good at the game. But just from like doing a few runs just to kind of see how the game feels for me, I've already gotten down to like a 102 IGT. So Nice. I could see myself playing that for a much better time in the future. Uh, another one. It's a game I started learning but never went back to learn because I got racked 2 into an online event and then just never went back to it. It's Sly 1. And since the time that I had started learning it back in early 2019, uh, an entire world got skipped and the record got lowered from like 47-47, I think was the record at the time. It's down to like a 35. Gee, that's a wow, that's a huge drop. World 4 skip saves like 10 minutes alone. World 4 skip, my god. <laughs> um, So that's what, 2? Two? 2. Super Mario 3D World. One of my first games I ever speed was doing speedruns of was 3D Land. I was an IL runner for that game for a while, and I did do a few offline. I say a few. I actually did actively grind that offline. I got my time down to like a 107 offline. Wow. Which, for what it's worth is the time, but like no vid, no did. So it's like, that being said, I'd have to actually go and grind for that time like that. Like actually being able to record attempts. So that being said, 3D World. I already love the movement engine of 3D Land, and 3D World is just that, but better. Yeah. Not to mention the Switch port just came out, so I have a system that I can actually play it on. So that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sonic Adventure 2 is actually one that I've dabbled with a little bit. I got my time down to like a 52 IGT. Just from like my own basic knowledge of the game. It was one of those that I kind of just picked up. The reason why I haven't grinded it is because playing it on PC, my like you said, we're on laptops here. My laptop actually cannot run Sonic Adventure 2 and OBS. So and it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay, that's what? Four. One more to go. Okay, um, ah. Uh, good question. Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> I said there. I said there was one. I said, "Oh, Mega Man Battle Network 2. It's an old. It's an old RPG series that I love. Like, of course, Mega Man. You know, like being based off of the Blue Bomber. It's more of like a turn-based sort of one where it's like I can equate it most similar to like Mario and Luigi, like those RPG games. Oh, okay, where pretty much every single point of damage can be avoided, but instead you're both taking your turns at once. Oh, so it's an interesting little RPG series. And the category I want to run is Battle Network 2 single segment, which is it's basically the Manipolis category. OK, you can influence the RNG in that game by soft resetting. It's basically a run that you never reset the game for. That being said, it's also surprisingly a very challenging run because like most RPGs from around that time, it's one of those, if you die, you go back to the title screen. So it's a run where you're literally not allowed to die. 
Yeah. Given like the enthusiasm that I've like <laughs> in detail with on some of these, it's like I've been sitting here really wanting to grind these games, but I've also had motive like insane motivation for like my current games. Yeah. As it stands uh, right now, I actually just got bopped in Ratchet 2 by Sneepy. Oh. So I'm now currently fourth in New Game Plus No IMG. But I'm currently grinding Tools of Destruction, which in that category, any percent, I'm currently second. Oh, going for the world record. Yes, actually. Heck my, yeah. My sum of bests are 55, like 13 or something like that, with the record of 5640. Wow. And I still have yet to fully realize some specific time saves. Dang. So it's like, I don't know. I like have really been enjoying what I'm doing. I've been enjoying challenge runs and like speed runs being a subset of challenge runs. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just need to play a casual game at some point just to chill. (laughs) Well, well, on the topic of Persona, Strikers is out. Uh, And I know that you mentioned before that you haven't touched Strikers yet, so... I do want to mess with that game. I haven't touched a Warriors-esque game. But hey, there's a first time for everything. Yeah. Um, as for myself, top five games that I would like to speedrun but haven't yet because I just don't... Again, I don't have a fucking good enough laptop to do shit with. Uh, and I also just stream through my PlayStation currently, so I... Speedrunning is out of the question until I get a PC. Uh, but five games I would like to speedrun. Super liminal because um, as I grinded for that platinum, you have to speedrun that game and beat it under thirty minutes. Uh, Sonic Adventure Two because you know what? Why not give it a shot? Go ham. Uh, Yakuza Ko- Yakuza Kiwami Two or Yakuza Six, uh, mostly because they're on the same Dragon Engine, and I really like the drag. Actually, add Judgment to that as well. Then one of those three. I would love to speedrun one of those. Uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom, SpongeBob SquarePants, because honestly, really great movement. And I, every time that shift posts the new the new world record, it's I'm I usually watch it. And Kingdom Hearts, most likely Kingdom Hearts one, because I did kind of speedrun that for the 15 hour achievement, but it's not like the world record pace where it's like done in like two three hours. But still. Those would be my games I would speedrun if I had the chance to. I could suggest you one. Oh? That, that, this is literally going to be coming out of a position of bias. Like you said, Ratchet PS4 is going to be free to claim. Yeah. It might be worth looking into seeing like on one of the specific categories. Hmm. Oh, the, cool thing, the cool thing about the Future Engine is that it's a lot less input tech heavy. So it's more so just like a lot of game knowledge. Okay. So I feel like they're a lot more beginner-friendly as well. Fair enough. Um, with that... Also, oh, sorry. That is also just me being the Ratchet speedrunner, just <laughs> killing Ratchet. Yeah. Um, with that, uh, we can move on to this week in gaming history. We're changing up. It's no longer this day. It's this week. So this way, when you're listening to this podcast, whether it be any time of the its week of release, there's something new that day that you will now know about. Um, so, for March 8th in 1991, Capcom introduced Street Fighter II Ar- the arcade, the arcade cabinet for it. That came out. Really cool. On the 9th, in the year 2000, Nintendo agreed to supply protective support gloves to American owners of Mario Party. 
Uh, as if you remember, that game caused <laughs> blistering on your hands if you fucking white ham with it. I forgot about that. I actually just purchased a, a JP copy of Mario Party One recently. Yeah, so that that was a thing. It was this that day on the tenth in twenty ten. Sony unveiled the PlayStation Move for the PlayStation Three. On the eleventh in two thousand fourteen, Titanfall and Dark Souls Two were released. Titanfall was released on the Xbox One and the three sixty, which also shows you how long the the PlayStation 4 and 1 have been around uh even though it doesn't feel like it it fucking yeah um 8 9 10, 11 on the 12th Sonic Advance 3 in 2003 Sonic Advance 2 in 2003 was released uh on the 13th uh two th- in 2009 Resident Evil 6 I don't know why it typed in Resident Evil 9 it's Resident Evil 6 was released no 5 it was 5 Resident Evil 5 was released my god my own typing Resident Evil 5 was released in 2009 on the 13th and on March 14th in 2002 Xbox released in the Europe in Europe the original Xbox and in 2010 Heart Gold and Soul Silver were released as well on the same day Shout-outs to the Poke Shout-outs to the Pokewalker. Great device. Really cool device. It was it was dope. I loved that thing. I just remember I'd bring it to school with me, and sometimes it would go off in class. Somehow I'd get away with it. <laughs> I, I brought it to school with me. I think me and my group of friends, we all had, like those of us who had it, we all brought it as well, and so we were able to do the little interaction thing. That was like the closest, for, the most I ever did with Pokemon multiplayer when I was a young lad. Um... The achievement of the week is in is MLG Pro in Kill It With Fire, which is to 360 no scope a spider with the assault rifle. So good luck with that, gamers. Uh, the game to look out for this week is Cyanide and Happiness Freak Freak Apocalypse because it looks really cool and really hilarious. And let's head over to Mike for this week's chicken update. Hey guys, this is Mike from your local Popeyes, no longer crying as my tear ducts have been blocked by chicken grease. Anyways, you're watching Tony's Game Lounge. Thank you for this week's chicken update, Mike. Uh, Torpedo, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to derail everyone for like a solid hour <laughs> just about phony PS4 RPG. It is A-OK. Where can we find you on the internet? Well... On Twitch, I regularly stream speedruns, sometimes some other challenge runs and stuff like that at twitch.tv forward slash torpedo underscore. The underscore is silent, though. <laughs> um, I am also on Twitter. That's torpedo for the win. That's just FTW after the name, no underscore anything in there. And then for YouTube, I'm just simply just called torpedo on there. But since that's just a keyword people look up where you can like look up torpedo ratchet and clank or something and that's where my channel would probably be more easily found i do plan on posting like editing together and like posting a video covering that persona 5 run in more detail than i could here because well i didn't want this whole podcast to be that i'm sorry (laughs) that is a-okay and of course you can find myself over at uh instagram and twitch at tony's game lounge 
on Twitch. We do our best to stream every Monday, Wednesday, and either Thursday or Friday, depending on my work schedule. Um, currently, we are streaming Danganronpa 2, Goodbye Despair, and the whole Danganronpa series after that, before we move on to something else. Um, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter as well, at Radio Tony. Uh, thank you once again, Torpedo. Uh, it was a great, honestly, a really great talk about Persona and just speedrunning in general and the challenge runs. It was a great, phenomenal time. I just, for anyone else, I know this this is going to be my parting remark. If there's just something you want to do to like breathe new life into a game, be it a challenge run, different way to play through the game, I say go ahead and do it. You can get mileage out of the games that you've played a lot more than you think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And with that, we will see all of you next week in the Game Lounge. Take care. Thank you for listening to Tony's Game Lounge. You can find all social media links in the episode description. Be sure to follow the podcast on your streaming platforms for new episodes and follow Tony's Game Lounge on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch for weekly updates.